Welcome to the Fan Bros, the show where the bros are fans. Doodle. Menace Productions. Welcome, internets, to another episode of Fan Bros. The show where the bros are fans or something to that extent. It's your boy, DJ Benjamin, a.k.a. the Konami Code Name, a.k.a. Up, Up, Down, Down, Left, Right, Left, Right, B.A. Baracus, a.k.a. Arsenio Holodeck, a.k.a. Wakanda's favorite DJ, the Captain Kirk of hip-hop, here in the Spaceship Tonight Fan Bros Show for all nerds. And as always, I am joined by... Tatiana King-Jones, the Grand Duchess of Tech, also known as the Shade Runner, also known as Trill Quiss, Chance the Parapper, Blackness Everdeen, the Black Widowmaker, Sean Jean-Luc Picard, and Beretta Scott King. Very nice. Very nice. Very Thank nice. I like the new one, you know, Trill Quiss. Very nice. Thank you, Ben. I mean, for that one. That was, You're that's, welcome. That's You're welcome I. very much. Very much. You know, it's Fan Bro Show. We like to spread love to each and <laughs> everyone out there, especially you, Tatiana. You know, I got to show you some love, too, of course. Oh, <laughs> after all these years. <laughs> <laughs> it took me some time to warm up to you. you know it's fan bro show like i said before the voice of the urban geek for all nerds i hope everyone out there is having a grand old week because i damn sure am it has been another fantastic week in geek and in life man things are going well boy you know wheels are falling off certain people's trains and (laughs) everything else is just going great so (laughs) i just can't be mad Yo, in fact, you know, I, I got to take a quick second and talk about this because, you know, me and Tatiana were talking about this earlier today. You know, what is going on in the world of, you know, the presidency and the America? Oh, and it's just, it's just ugly. But, you know, I just want to take a quick second because there's more news dropping every second, every day. So just pay attention and just make sure you vote and mm-hmm. call your Congress people, your senators, you know, everyone, your mayor, anyone, your fire chief, police chief, you know, I don't care. Call people, vote in every election for real. Make a difference out there because, as you see, it is pure insanity out there, you know, so. It's crazy. And I also suggest you download the Countable app. Yes. That app has been very instrumental in, one, me getting to understand and know my Congress people of the people who are in the legislation in my state, in my city, seeing what's being voted on, seeing what types of legislation is being brought across the table, because this stuff is is wild. And it's just a lot of stuff about American politics that we just don't pay attention to or have not been paying attention enough to. Um, Just like how they say, well, you should know who your mayor is. You should know who your who your congressmen are like or congresswomen are like it. It's it's very important. it's always important, but it's really important now more than ever. So definitely, whatever you got to do to learn this stuff, I mentioned Countable simply because once you put your information into that app, it gives you all the detail. They explain every law or, or bill that comes across. Like, it, it's very, very useful. So definitely check that out. 
I like that. It's like we did Trifling Heights and TED Talk with Tatiana, you know, like early <laughs> on, right away, you know, keep your yes. fan bros, you know, right away. Maybe we should start both. doing it that way <laughs> going forward. <laughs> like they some minus Trifling and I could be like, well, you know, a way to get around this is. <laughs> Word, word, because <laughs> everybody in Trifling Heights needs needs an app to get around them. So, oh Jesus, Lord have mercy. But you know, in some good tech news and some news that I know has Tatiana super excited. I'm About- I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna say nothing more. I'm just gonna let you take it from here. It's it's tech news slash movie news slash TV news slash everybody news. First of all, it's about damn time. Okay, yes. I've been yelling, screaming about this for the longest. Today, the teaser trailer for Star Trek Discovery finally dropped. And I am really, really intrigued. I'm not going to sit here and say I love it because it's just a teaser trailer. It didn't, it, it gave me enough where it was familiarly, it was familiar to me as a Star Trek situation. But I don't know where they're going with this. It's very early on in the process. So I can't really sit here and be like, oh, I'm so super excited. I'm honestly because of the way Paramount CBS has treated Trek fans and treated the, the the franchise in general, I'm going at this with a guarded heart. Let's mm. say that. But that being said, the teaser trailer did look good in terms of quality. Um, if, if, for those that saw it, it started out, in fact, the way it started out, it, it reminded me more of Star Wars because as soon as they showed Michelle Yeoh and Sonequa Martin-Green on screen, I was I just said, is that Rey? <laughs> because it looked very much like Rey on her planet um, in the new in the new Star Wars movies. But then they went right into the whole Star Trek shit of, you know, beam us both up. So I was like, okay, we're getting back to things. For um, just this, the brief synopsis, this Star Trek Discovery series takes place 10 years before Captain Kirk's time. So this is like, this has nothing to do with Captain Kirk. I, I don't think they're going to even connect it at the very end of the series at all. These, so these are brand new characters, brand new story. It stars, I mentioned Sonequa Martin-Green and Michelle Yeoh. Michelle Yeoh is uh, playing Captain George Yeoh. And Sonequa Martin-Green is playing Commander Michael or Michelle, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, Burnham. And it seems that she's possibly half Vulcan, which is also very interesting. And I think that... That's going to be interesting to to go into deeper, especially the fact that she's a black woman that may be half Vulcan. Okay, now, all right. Now, that cleared up something for me. Okay, now, I got two questions for you. One is, does this pl- take place in the original timeline or in the timeline of the new films? Well, I'm. T- that's the thing. They mentioned, because they mentioned Kirk and Spock, I was like, okay, well, they're they're... They're using that known timeline, but the new films also mention Kirk and Spots, and it's a slightly different timeline. So yeah. I don't know. I'm going to say they're going for the new because it the whole idea was born from the way J.J. Abrams rebooted the franchise, yeah. um, the film franchise. And because of that, they, they have taken elements of the if you watch like the newer Star Trek movies, you see it's it's. It's a more it's more cooler. I, I don't know how else to explain it, but say that it's it's cooler in the sense that they don't. It's not completely polished Starfleet uh, uniform and and very um, how do I say that like very formal. It's also a lot of greediness into it too, like literally dirt, literally stuff not working, things like that. So I think they are doing this in the vein of the new J.J. Abrams movies and and just in that 
timeline, if you will. But obviously, like I mentioned, this this is its own contained story. Yeah. All right. Because I've heard both things. I'm not sure which way they're going with this. But the other thing is, when I was watching the trailer, I thought that, because I know that that is uh, Spock's father they're showing in the trailer. Is that is, is Sarek. Yeah, that's, 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 that's Sarek. Sarek. Played by James Frain. Okay. Um, yeah. And I thought that Sarek was talking to Spock when he said, you're half Vulcan. Well, you're... Maybe he is. Yeah. And, because what you see is you see you I can't tell if if because when he says that what he says in the line he says something about um you'll never understand the language or because you you're having of you're half human something yep. along those lines and he's looking at a, a child Vulcan yeah but children children can look like like ch- little boys and little girls look pretty much the same so and then they kind of fade away from the child's face and you see Sonequa, uh, mm. uh C- Commander Burnham so I'm just like. Was that supposed to be her as a child, or is just, or it could be a red herring? It could, she could just be completely human. Um, that has nothing to do with it. Maybe she's related somehow. Maybe she's not. And to your point, maybe he's just talking to Spock as a child. And I don't know, <laughs> but but there's something there that will be discovered, <laughs> discovery, discovered oh. very soon. But there, there's, they did that on purpose, obviously. That there's a reason why. So. Maybe she is just full human and I'm just taking another step, whatever. But there is some type of connection there with her and Spock. Yep. I definitely like the trailer. I like, like you said, it looked like um, Ray on her planet at the beginning. But then when they beamed up, I loved that moment. Yeah. You know, it definitely takes from the J.J. Abrams with the looks and the lights and everything glowing and all that. Yeah, and the camera angles. It's very squeaky. Like just in terms of, um, the, I don't know how to explain, the clean, the cleanliness of the shots. Yeah. Very no, crisp yeah, very shots. Yeah. Very J.J. Yeah. Very well done. You know, it looks very well done in general. The one complaint I definitely had was the new Klingons or whatever they said that there was going to be a new look to the Klingons and I yeah. think that's a mask that that one is wearing that, I think that's that a mask. can't be his face yeah I, th- I think I really look like a mask there's no way that's the, the Klingon yeah. I really think and hope to God that that's a mask and no, not the new Klingon face yeah. if the Klingons change the way they look then I, I'm not really mad about it because if you ever have seen the original series the Klingons don't look the way they look that like yep. Worf they, mm-hmm. they all look you know, they look different as time has gone on so I can understand them slightly changing it but that better not be the Klingon face no, I think that's a mask to throw you off I think that's what the thing is you gotta remember you know J.J. Abrams especially is the master of trailers that will throw you the hell off so you know I just think yeah. this whole trailer but, is meant to right. throw you off like we but said this isn't like, right. this isn't J.J. Abrams you know that right oh yeah I know but they got yeah. a bite style you know oh yeah, like, yeah 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 <laughs> you know I'm sure one of his apprentices is somewhere up in here working at this like come on now somebody is like this is how you do it this is what J.J. said to do you know, yeah. <laughs> this is how JJ said, would do it. <laughs> my big brother JJ said, <laughs> but no, I liked it. Like you said, I think that they definitely, you know, initially throw you into the, Oh, that looks like Ray. And then boom, no, it's Trek and boom. Then it's all Trek for the rest of the trailer. And it was, you know, it's good looking, but yeah, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. And the other reason why I'm not like, like I'm excited, but I'm also guarded about it is also I'm I'm very still displeased that it's on CBS All Access, the five ninety nine streaming service from CBS, five dollars mm-hmm. ninety nine cents. I'm not paying for another streaming service. Now they do have a free trial available at any time. I'm not really sure how long that free trial lasts. I have seen and received different um, promo codes to be able to be able to get like a free month, and that's great. But but this show premieres quote unquote this fall. 
So I'm not sure what their plan is in terms of onboarding new users for that service. If they really want this to make it work, they're going to have to really go hard on the on the invitations to CBS All Access because this is yet another streaming service that people may or may not want to pay for just to simply get this show. And and maybe there's other shows on CBS that people like and want to get into, but like I I, I don't <laughs> like I would literally only be getting it for Star Trek Discovery. And as much as a Star Trek head I am, I'm I'm very wary of doing that. Mm, yeah, and, I did for him. And plus we don't know how they're releasing the show. We don't know if there, um, well, number one, it's going to be 15 episodes, which was actually increased from 13. And we don't know if it's going to be like released all at once, half at one point, half later down in the season, how that's going to even work. Yeah, nah, it's definitely for me, it's a pass. I'll just wait, you know, CBS, I'm sure, you know, shout out to CBS All Access out there. I'm sure somebody's listening, you know. Contact at fanbros.com. You know where to find us. Hit us up because, you know, we'll be looking for that, you know, Star Trek preview because <laughs> five ninety nine a month for CBS. So. Like, I'm, I'm just, <laughs> again, I just, that, that pains me because I just feel like especially to reboot. This is the first time Star Trek has been on TV in. Yeah. Since, since what enterprise and nobody and i'm not an enterprise fan but the point is this is the first time you've had it on quote-unquote network tv but then you decide oh no we're gonna put it on a streaming service and then their whole idea of putting the the uh, pilot on regular tv and then everything else is on it, it just seems very unnecessary to me and extra <laughs> it's it's just put it on the damn network and 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 get your viewership yes like, why do they not think that I just wish I was in the room when they made the decision. Let's just say that. I'm sure about like 99% of Star Trek fans wish they were in that room when they made that decision yeah. because that's not no, that's not what's popping. It's just it, it blows my mind also because it's it's more of CBS Paramount's shenanigans when everything that comes to Star Trek, if you ever um, get games or, or swag or whatever the case is, it's always some premium put on it. It's always, oh, well, we give this to you, but you're going to have to pay. Or it's, oh, we don't want you messing with it. Like, like, like people getting sued for doing like fan fiction and stuff. Like, it's just, it's always something with this, this, this group. And I'm, again, just incredibly irritated about that. That being said, I'm still going to support Star Trek Discovery. I'm still going to talk about it and all that other stuff and just be on the lookout for it. Again, it comes out this fall and I'll be tweeting about it. Word, and we'll definitely be talking about it as, you know, we see more from it. And, you know, we got some, mm, 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 I mean, a superior episode of Fan Bro Show. One of the hottest in a long list of hot ones that we've been bringing to you all through 2017. And this is another one. We're going to get right into it right after this break. Universal FanCon is a brand new convention coming to the Baltimore Convention Center in April of 2018. FanCon will be a round-the-clock event featuring comics, cosplay, gaming, celebrity guests, music, and more with a focus on diversity and inclusion. Get your tickets now at UniversalFanCon.com because geek is universal.
And welcome back, fan bros. I know you've been enjoying this episode, but we are about to get it turned up in here. Once again, as always, we have another stellar guest here in the spaceship tonight. Tonight, we have Orlando Jones, the writer, producer, director, comedian, actor, talk show host, award-winning ad campaign creator, Dapper Dresser, Jack of Mini Trades, and a master at least a few of them. You probably know him better as Mr. Nancy on the hit star series American Gods. And later this year, he'll be seen in an independent feature film, The Devil in the Deep Blue Sea, as well as the film Tainted Love, based on the graphic novel style action comedy, which he also wrote and produced. Let's welcome Orlando Jones to the spaceship tonight. (laughs) What is up? Thank you you so much. We are so excited to hear from you. Really excited to get you on the show after we talked to you at the uh, the press screening for American Gods. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, my pleasure, man. I'm sorry it took us a moment to get it together. My schedule's been a little stupid, but always... Of course it has. (laughs) (laughs) Of course it has, man. You're a busy man. We see you wear many hats. And, you know, of course, Mr. Nancy doing a thing on American Gods is crazy right now. It's it's always crazy, yeah. That's all I can say. <laughs> all right. Well, you were crowned MTV's king of fandom in 2015, and now you're on the Fan Bros show. So, first, what made you the king of fandom? And honestly, which is more of an honor? <laughs> uh, you know, that's hard to say. I don't know why MTV claimed <laughs> I'm the king of fandom. So I'm gonna go with Fan Bros show because that yeah. seems like the safe answer right now. Uh, <laughs> yes, it is. So that that's definitely the the greatest honor. But uh, you know, I'm, I'm involved in fandom. Obviously, I'm a fan. So I, I don't know if that makes me the king of fandom. But you know, I think uh, you know I enjoy it. You know, I'm, I'm the captain of several ships of uh, of several different fandoms uh, for different shows. So uh, you know, I enjoy it. It's a it's a blessed life. I got no complaints. <laughs> mm, no, I mean none at all. A lot of things are going on with you, but you've had like. The illustrious career. I mean, like, I remember growing up, you know, watching the 7-Up joints. Like, <laughs> but I had no idea that you also wrote, produced, you know, you had your own ad, you know, advertising agency. Like, what inspired you to start that at such a young age? Uh, lack of opportunity. Um. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, like you- most- Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, it's, 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 it's interesting you say that because... So many people have lack of opportunity, but they don't know where to start to even get their opportunity going. So how did you even get involved in that? Uh, you know, I, I, I think it's key not to overthink certain things. Um, mm. Like if you hungry, find something edible and eat it. Uh, but if you want to try and say, well, what I really want is filet mignon and I want this side of coconut rice. Well, that's a whole different game if you hungry. So I think what often happens is people don't take action because they don't feel it's the right opportunity, but I just didn't see it that way. And at the time, you know, I was a kid from South Carolina. You know, there there just weren't there were limited opportunities. I mean, you I could I could get a job saying thank you, please come again, like that was easy. But uh, <laughs> getting a job that you know was actually a quote you know a a real job, uh, a job that required some chops, or a job that people would 
you know, ultimately respect was a much more difficult thing to do. And advertising was a way to do that. So I decided to um, uh, start pitching my ideas to advertising agencies mm -hmm. to see if I could sell something to an advertising agency. And uh, fortunately, I sold something and, and uh, in the process of selling it, obviously, I was pitching it for me to be in it. So that's kind of how it, how it came together for me. But I, I really I really don't think that um, I, I hear people say that. Let me put it to you that way. Right. I hear people say that there's a lack of opportunity. But again, this was a long time ago. I mean, I was this was, you know, early 90s. So. There, there was no internet in the way that it is now. There was right. no YouTube. There was no Twitter. There was no Facebook video. There was no Instagram. Now you absolutely have no excuse. Then your only way was to get on radio, get on TV, get into a movie. That was your only option. So I didn't have these other options where I could take a camera, shoot myself and post it mm -hmm. and build my audience locally. So uh, I, I did, however, have people around me that were doing you know, commercials and television shows and such. So I went to those people and tried to get a job. And that's that's really, for me, how it started. You know, even that's very interesting still because, like you said, people have no, for the most part, you say people have no reason why they should not. They have all the tools in the world. But there's always this sense of fear, whether it's fear of just starting or, or fear of failing or even fear of not of, of, of a hypercritical fear, because you're also sure. in the age of, of hypercriticality, where it's like, to your point, everyone can see you. you can put your face out there on YouTube for the billions to see. But that's the problem, too. How do you how do you make everybody? Well, I don't know if you want to make everybody happy, but how do you as a new person come out and say, you know, this is who I am as a creative. This is what I want to put out in the world and be OK with that. Uh, honestly, I. I don't care about those problems. Mm. Uh, I, 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 to me, if that's what you're concerned about, this is not the profession for you. Mm. Like okay. you, you need to go elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, the, the analogy I would say is this. You ever go to one of those uh, swimming pools that's got the real, the deep end, they got that platform diving board, you got to climb up like 25 st uh, steps on a ladder right. to get to that platform before you jump off? Right. Mm -hmm. You climb yourself all the way up to the ladder, then you get on the platform, and now you want to stand there and talk about how you're scared to jump off while other people are climbing up, jumping off. Now you're just holding up progress. Now somebody got to come all the way up there and talk to you. And there's two ways it's going to go. You're either going to climb your ass right back down them steps you came up <laughs> or you're going to jump off into the water. But what they ain't going to do is stand there all day long and have you disrupt the process because you're scared or you've got all these feelings. But don't nobody care about your feelings. Mm, so okay. jump or climb back down. But the truth of the matter is everybody starts somewhere. That, that's how it worked. Ask any stand-up comedian about the town and city they grew up in, and they will tell you that that's the place where they still suck. <laughs> that's how people saw them when they first started out. Jay Leno used to tell that joke all the time. He used to be like, he was on The Tonight Show, and I think he's from Cleveland. He was like, anytime he went to Cleveland, they're like, you still working at that comedy, are you? Uh, you know, so, uh, you know that's because those people saw him at a different stage. It doesn't matter if you're a musician, wherever you started is where you started. But if, if, if what you want to do is this, and you are fearful of, of a critic's eye, like, I, who cares? That's what critics do. Critics critique. That's their job. Your job 
your job is to tell a story. Your job is to connect with the audience. Your job is to actually be vulnerable enough to be okay with whatever that is. And if you're not strong enough to do that, then there's really, there's nothing anybody can do to help you. That's on you. Exactly, exactly. So with that, I want to jump into the very critical character you're playing right now, Mr. Nazi on American Gods. Something you've said that strikes me very similarly, the fact that you have to be a very strong-willed character, but also you can't think about what the critic's saying. Mr. Nancy's intro, a lot of people have finally have seen that intro, and that is, I told you on our, on our video uh, TV interview that I was screaming, like three o'clock in the morning, just screaming, <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, like, when people see that combined with things like seeing recently Aisha Hines on Underground with her... That's my girl. Yeah, man, with that portrayal of Harriet Tubman and seeing that, like, that 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 cut me deep. I was just like, oh, my goodness. Like, just for, for, for that to be the medium in which people... A lot of people are learning now just about these stories. And then to have Mr. Nazi, which is, you know, part folklore, part culture, part all this other stuff, to, for you to have that type of intro, like... How do you feel? How has the reception been, first off? Let's say that. Well, I mean, look, there's, there's always two kinds, right? There's the right. people who, who love it and, and connect with it and understand it. And then there's the people who, you know, they got something to say. So, you know, I've heard things like, what do I know? I, I don't have any connection with the slave experience, which I found funny. Really? Oh, yeah. Somebody, yeah. <laughs> what does Orlando Jones know about being a slave? <laughs> He's a he's a famous celebrity. I'm like, damn, are you in my living room? Did you know? <laughs> you got my life history pulled up just like that. You you really know how it rolls for me. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah. So you you hear all type of madness, but I, for me that's funny. Like I don't, I gives not what anybody says about anything. That's that's just me. Um, but it, for me, it's been rewarding because frankly. I can't remember a time when somebody was talking about a character from African folklore, um, uh, you know, particularly from Ghanaian folklore, from the Ashanti people. I can't remember a time when someone would allow that to be broadcast. And frankly, even today, that, that wouldn't happen on network and it wouldn't happen on general cable. It could only happen on pay cable just you know, for a, a thousand different reasons. Right. But any medium that is advertiser dependent is going to be very nervous about you know, what Mr. Nancy has to say. Um, and, and frankly, what this show is about in general. And I think that's what's exciting about the show is that along with Mr. Nancy, there's so many barriers that are being attacked, but they're not being attacked just to attack the barriers it's the plight of those characters. It's what right. drives those characters forward. So for me, it's crazy rewarding because I don't need to see another slave ship uh, portrayal in my life. I, I, I was not particularly mm. pleased with any of the, I'm, you know, I'm a black man from the South, so I'm not interested in slave ship portrayals. I never have been. So that's for me to be able to do that one, wherein without apology, we got to talk about what our actual experience was then and what it was going to be hundreds of years into the future. For me, you know, my dad said it best. My dad said, uh, I had to laugh when he said it. He said, I saw um, Roots and I was pissed off. He said, and I saw King Kong and they put that ape 
in the bottom of a slave ship, brought him over here in Ooh. chains because he fell in love with the white woman. And then they, they killed him in New York City. And then I saw Django Unchained. Oh. Quentin Tarantino can cuss my, kiss my ass. He said, but let me tell you something, boy. He said, when I saw that Mr. Nancy, whatever that fella name you was on that slave ship, mm. That's the slave speech I've been waiting to hear my entire life because it did not have a white savior. Mm. So for my father, for my grandfather, for my great grandfather, Mm. for for other people like me, for people who understand what the struggle has been and understand what the struggle continues to be today. That was an exciting thing to be able to bring to light. So for me. I don't care what nobody say. That's 100% truth. That's what it is. And Mr. Nancy did it in such a way that I don't know that he's being noble. I just know that he is, he is, he needs his worship. He's a God and he uses truth like all gods do and a little bit of, of trickery in order to get what he wants. And that's what he was doing in that scene, but that doesn't diminish the truth of the words he spoke. So for me, it was um, it's something that I've been wanting to do on camera for a long time, something um, I feel uh, proud uh, to, to be able to do. But again, it's, it's so much bigger than me. It really ain't about me. Did you freestyle anything in there or was that all just written? That is that is the gospel as written by wow. Brian Fuller and, and Michael Green. It has not a single. Serious? It has absolutely no ad lib in it. None. Wow. Wow. When I read it, I, there was no reason to that. It was there that there was no reason to uh, to move any part of it. And what was what's powerful about it to me uh, and it's something that people haven't been talking about is that um, a straight Jewish white man and a gay Jewish white man wrote that because right. <laughs> because they connected to it. They understood it. And for them. And whatever their life stories have been, whatever their life experience has been, them, they understood that and handed me those words and said, make them your own. And, you know, I I used what my talent is to to try and bring it to life in a few other ways, Mm -hmm. you know, playing with the dialects and various other things that go along with it. And obviously I moved commas and periods where I saw fit, but they, they were, they were dope. They were like, do your thing. Like. Go ahead. You understand it better than we do. We just wrote the the blueprint for what it is, but we don't presume to tell you that we understand the depth of these words more than you do. And I got to say, I've never worked with creators who gave that type of latitude to to actors before. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm grateful to those guys, Ryan Fuller, Michael Green, and uh, also uh, Neil Gaiman. They're um, you know, they're, they're smart guys, but they're also really compassionate dudes. So I have a lot of respect for them, uh, for them giving me the latitude to uh, to make that my own. Now, speaking of Brian Fuller, when we met him, he told us that there was a reaction in that room when you filmed that scene. So. <laughs> yeah, they tell everybody. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, you understand I'm in a I'm on, we're on we were in Toronto, Canada um, at the time. Uh, in fact, there had just been a problem with the Toronto police and Black Lives Matter Toronto was was hot in the news. They were talking. So there are a bunch of Canadian black guys, about 40 or 50 of them, you know, pretending to be slaves chained in the ship. And I'm sure that those words resonated for them in the same way that they resonated for you guys yeah. and, for, and for me. So 
they jumped up and started applauding when I was done. <laughs> they were like, yes! <laughs> and, Burn it uh, down! Yeah, hey, they were, they, were, <laughs> they were ready to go right there. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was crazy, but, you know, for me, that was important only because it let me know it was connecting. And that was, uh, that's what I wanted it to do. And uh, they were dope, man. They sat there for me in that hot box. Uh, while we shot that scene for a minute and trust and believe it was stupid hot <laughs> stupid hot on that set uh that day but uh, uh a beautiful scene and uh you know again i'm proud of it man you should be because like tatiana said you know i was same way i'm sitting here watching the early you know press review of it and i'm just like oh my god what <laughs> the hell just happened and i can't even talk about this like i have to keep quiet about what i just saw and so you know when it dropped last week it was just like yes finally everyone else can see this so i'll yeah. just it, oh. it's more so that it's to your point orlando that I feel like we as the people need to be able to see the real on, and yes, it's net. Well, it's not quite network TV; it's cable, but it's accessible. It's not like some random channel that no one's ever heard of, for instance. Exactly. Like, it, it, it's accessible, and it and it has the full, at least from what I see, it has the full weight um, and power of a full marketing campaign. There's money being thrown at this. There, there is a microphone being amplified uh, to make this these narratives being shown, even though these are all, this is fiction. The point is you're saying truth. And I think that's important that people be able to see that. Yeah, I, I got to tip my hat to a number of people. Cause what you say is very true. Um, you got to tip your hat to stars and Chris Albrecht, who is really the architect of what we now call HBO. He really built that premium channel of HBO mm -hmm. for many, many years. Um, I've known Chris since I was, you know, writing on Martin. So I've known this man for, 20 plus years, um, Carmi Carney Zlotnick also at Stars, And also, you know, I got to stand up and applaud Craig Kalinske and Stephanie Burke, um, the heads of Fremantle North America, yes. because they have come at this super hard. They have not, they haven't bowed, they haven't blinked, um, they haven't stepped away. They, they put a black male lead into a television show, which even today is still super rare. Absolutely. Um, so I, I got to tip my hat to these guys and they didn't, they didn't sit around and mealy mouth about budget all day long. They really wanted to make something that was beautiful, that was premium and, and to really not skimp in any detail of it. So for me, when I look at what Fremantle is doing and what stars is doing with this type of content, I got to tip my hat to them because without them, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, and not only do you have Mr. Nancy, you also have Bilquis yes. on the same show. So, My queen! I mean... Oh, I hell, the queen! Like, you know, Latifah, you know, you might have to chill for a minute because we... Oh, uh, Bilquis is real with it. And let me tell you, Yatide Bidaki... Yes. ...is, hey, man, she's gifted. Um, this entire cast is gifted, but the way she brings it to life, like, it has such... It has such power, um, but it has such uh, such empathy at the same time. She's just an extraordinary actress, and she she owns that role. I mean, she she owns it. And to be fair, Ricky Whittle is owning Shadow Moon, an extremely difficult role because he's the audience with all of these huge characters around him. This entire cast is, you know, off the map. I mean, it's yeah. I, I, I've never had the opportunity to work with this type of cast. Ian McShane's ridiculous. Pablo Schreiber's ridiculous. I mean. It's, it's just it's an incredible cast and, a, and an incredible piece of science fiction that we're getting to bring to life. 
that talks about the very things that we talk about today unapologetically. None of the right. characters are apologizing for a damn thing. And for me, that's what's uh, in many ways the most exciting about it. Mm. Okay, now one thing that I did notice, though, when we were in the press room, and I'm sure in most of the press rooms you're at, and, you know, when you're doing press anywhere, you know, in general, you are speaking to people of, shall we say, the Caucasian persuasion. Sure. <laughs> and, you know, especially with this show, you're speaking about stuff that's normally barbershop conversations. So mm -hmm. how does it feel, you know, to expose these ideas to the outside world? Uh, I've never been one to switch up those types of conversations. But by the same time, you know, each conversation has its, its place. Um, it's always tough when you're trying to force this type of conversation, you know, in, in an area where it doesn't belong. Um, and uh, in this case, it, you know, for me, it feels fine because I'm comfortable having the conversation. I, you know, some people feel uncomfortable having these type of conversations. But in this particular role, I don't have to shy away from things that I might have had to shy away from when I'm talking to you from playing Frank Irving and Sleepy Hollow or you know, Dr. Lee and Drumline or Harry Block from Evolution for whatever it is. I've never, you know, aside from Oliver Tambo, uh, which I did earlier this year with Debo, with Lawrence Fishburne and um, mm -hmm. Dave Harewood, you know, and maybe Bobby Seale uh, when I did Chicago 8, these type of characters, they're not a lot of them. You know, they're very few that get to talk unabashedly about what the experience is. Um, and, and even fewer that get to talk about the history of it um, with that level of honesty. Most of the time you're in a fictional narrative and, you know, the, the corporation, the distributor and the advertisers are asking you to play the game. And so you, you know, and, and even if you wanted to push the narrative, you sound crazy doing it because what that got to do with the headless horseman, you know, right. So, right. you know, <laughs> you know what I mean, and you sound kind of crazy trying to go down that road. You know, I mean, you, you know, people are like, oh, OK, he angry, you know, and, and, and to pretend and to pretend that being unabashedly black is still not a problem for for many people in, in this country and around the world is a mistake. Um, the, it, it is it is a problem. Um, I mean, I'm reminded by one thing and one thing only, and that is I have two little brown girls that are my daughters. And slavery is more alive today than ever before. There are 27 million plus people that are slaves today. There are more people slave, that are slaves today than have ever been slaves in human history. Mm -hmm. So this idea that slavery is this distant memory, that's crazy. And in North America, the number one target for human slavery is young women of color. Yep. So for me, when people talk about this stuff like it's a distant memory, I'm like, I, I, don't, I, I don't have any patience about those types of conversations because the average age is 12 years old. So that means you're snatching our children. Mm -hmm. So for me, this time, this moment, this subject matter, this character, it's, it's really, um, you know, it's, it's an important time. And I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm super grateful and, and give it up to the good master to be able to be in this position to talk about these things this way. But again, normally 
you know, people act like that's not real. They act like it's just some distant memory. They act like we're talking about Kunta Kinte. And I'm like, what that got to do with what's happening right now? That's ridiculous, man. I mean, you snatch on our kids right now. Exactly. Uh, so, like, what is this? Why are we even talking about the past? Can we just have an honest conversation about the present? And, and frankly, most people don't want to have that conversation. I mean, that. thank you for that. Because, like we said, we definitely got reactions from people where they were like, oh, you know, I'm tired of the slave narratives, always seen slave narratives. I'm like, well, you weren't paying attention to the scene. Not at all, because that's yeah. not a slave narrative. No, <laughs> no, no, that's a revolution narrative. That's exactly right, because a Nazi ain't no slave. Oh, hell damn sure ain't. <laughs> Like you said, slaves don't come on the stage. That's a God narrative is what that is. (laughs) Oh, That's a God narrative. Thank you for the title of the show. Thank you. (laughs) Right. And even even beyond the title of the show, in in my mind, the purpose of religion is to stamp out repression, oppression, and tyranny. That's the purpose Mm. of religion. And Mm. if that's not the purpose of religion, then I'm not a Christian. Mm. I'm, I'm only a Christian if that is the job of Christianity. If it, if it is not to bring human rights to us all, if it is not to make me truly free, then what good is it to me? What, I'm, I'm a pray to the second class citizen God? I know you're tripping. <laughs> I know you're playing right now because I'm not built that way. I've never been built that way. I, you know, I've, I, I don't hate white people. My wife is a white lady. That ain't got nothing to do with nothing for me. I don't care about color in that way, but that does not mean that I'm not acutely aware of what my color, what my legacy, what my history is. It's not like I am from the deep South. Mm. They burned crosses in my front yard when I was a child. I have seen all of this before up close and personal. Ain't nobody gonna tell me what it looked like. I know what it looked like. So. For me to be able to overcome that myself and not put that blanket hate on all white people has been a journey for me to take because I didn't start out that way. You know, I started out with a very revolutionary attitude about things and had to gain the understanding that, oh, wait, you're a young white person. You don't know nothing about what I'm talking about. You don't know my experience. You don't know my pain. You don't know my narrative. And you don't even feel that way about me. But I feel some kind of way about you. Because I've had an experience, but that's not because I'm racist. Black people can't be racist. We can only be prejudiced and discriminatory because racism describes the oppressor's acts solely based on race. I've never had any power to be able to oppress anybody. How the hell can I be racist? (laughs) I ain't oppressing nobody. No black person is oppressing anybody. We are responding to the circumstances that we have had to live with. And if that response is to be cautious, if that response is to be fearful, if that response is to protect oneself, how the hell is that racist? That's intelligence. Mm Mm-hmm. Can so, you can can you just lecture a class for us? <laughs> like every every Sunday, just come lecture a class for Fair Ambrose Show, please. You know, a lot of that is my my. I knew my great grandmother. I knew my great grandfather. Born in the early 1900s, so I got to spend a lot of time listening to my great grandfather tell me about his life, and my great grandmother tell me about her life. Mm. And my great grandmother was super light skinned, so she used to tell me stories about how her father could pass. Right. And she should also tell me about stories about how when they realized that she wasn't, in fact, white, how that that changed things. So, you know, having had the ability to know three generations of my family and to have an acute understanding of what we went through uh, just for the blood that I come from, you know, it makes me go, hey, I'm not apologizing for any element of that by the same token. Uh, I'm not trying to, to. I'm not trying to debate nobody about what I know happened. I mean, I'm not mad at you. I'm just, you know, why is my why is my human rights so offensive to you? And, and more importantly, I try and be more active, not about 
just that. I try and be more active on behalf of women and on behalf of disabled people because I feel like if you truly want human rights and you can't be advocating all the time on behalf of yourself. Right, exactly. It there are other people around. <laughs> yeah, and, and other people who are, who, are, who are being oppressed, other people who are experiencing maybe not those things based on race, but certainly based on sex, certainly based on being you know, disabled. Though, you know, that, that pain is no, no less than my own. So you know, I feel like advocating for, uh, on behalf of those people is my job. Uh, and advocating just on behalf of, of being uh, a black man is is my circumstance so i try and advocate on behalf of 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 those people more often than i do you know in many cases my own at the press room bro you just blew me away when you said this you said everything comes down to the narrative it's what we use to sell to convince to trick to cajole it's the tool of cults and the tool of kings like that's what it is can you just expand on that for the listeners? Because so like... I'm, I'm often reminded of certain things, like how change happened. One of the things I really like to, to study and look at is how change happened, right? Rosa Parks was not the first woman to be sitting on a bus saying, I'm not going to get out of my seat for you fools. Right. But she fit the narrative, right? She mm-hmm. wasn't a young teenage girl. She was a mom. She was attractive. She was, she was light-skinned. She fit the narrative. She was the right spokesperson in order to achieve what needed to be achieved at that time. But those people who lost their lives, who were beaten, who were, who were treated unfairly, those nameless, faceless individuals don't get the title of being the first, but they didn't suffer any less. So when I look at how the narrative plays itself out, it's all about do you control it? How do you tell the story? Even when we look at the election cycle, I I don't care who you voted for, 45 had the better narrative. Because every time Hillary opened her mouth, 45 said, liar, liar, pants on fire, liar, you know she's lying, right? You see them email? Liar, husband, liar, liar, liar. But that narrative was simple, right? It's funny. But it's clean because it's clean. And he, all he had to do was pluck one little feather out of the cap lie. That narrative was clean. And I understand how people might have fallen into that narrative and fallen victim to that narrative because it was so clean and it was so powerful. While Hillary was trying to put forth a more nuanced narrative, which requires somebody who's a lot more thoughtful. Somebody who has had a greater breadth of experience. That's a more difficult narrative to sell than liar, liar, liar. (laughs) Liar is an easy narrative. So my point is he finds himself in that position because they were smart in choosing the right narrative. Yes. And they they were not smart in choosing the right narrative. So narratives play a key role in everything that happens, everything we hear, everything we see. Somebody's trying to sell you something. Somebody's trying to get you to do something. And they often dumb the narrative down and make it really simple, more simple often than it is, in order to try and get you to come onto their side. And so for me, we forget that because that's too complex, right? Don't nobody want to talk about those parts of the game. Mm-hmm. Everybody just wants to hear that simple thing. You know what I mean? Everybody wants, to, everybody wants it to be in a sound bite so they can yell amen. But the truth of the matter is when you really get down into the, um, the nitty gritty of these, these concepts and ideas, you find that there's a lot more nuance and there's a lot more gray than uh, I think pe- people want there to be. And, you know, I- I've fallen victim to that narrative. I'm not better than anybody else, but uh, I think it's important to understand that it's just a story. And in playing Mr. Nancy, that's what he's doing. He's telling you a story. You know, that, that's his game. 
he trapped the stories. He got the stories from the sky god and spread them across the world. So when I'm playing a character whose whole role is about narrative, I think it's incumbent upon me to talk about how important narrative is and how it plays into not only the show, but to, you know, our everyday lives. Very cognizant that you said that because you have a wealth of characters across the spectrum. You've been in, I just feel like you, honestly, I personally think you're legendary. You're legendary status at this point because you have Mr. had... Lee. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you... <laughs> Whether it's you, you attribute that to just going out there and doing it or having the opportunity, you have pretty much done almost everything. Like you've done Black Dynamite, you've done Sleepy Hollow, you've done this, you've done Madiba. Like, like you've done a lot across the board. How do you even pick your roles and has that changed over the years? It's definitely changed over the years. I mean, it's, it's easy to look back and, and categorize it like I, I had it all figured out, but that's a lie. Uh, I think mm. in, the, in the early days um, when Mad TV came along, I was a Mad Magazine fan. Mm. Uh, mm. You know, so that somebody said, that you, you know, Mad TV. I was like, where do I sign up? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> how we make this work? I mean, I was excited. So I, uh, I left at the opportunity. I didn't, I didn't think about it. Um, once I got into the opportunity, it was really eye-opening because I was going to this show that Quincy Jones produced. In fact, Quincy Jones handpicked me. That's how I got on Mad TV. Oh, wow. Uh, I was in a cattle call audition. Uh, I did the material they gave me, and Quincy was like, all right, cool. Like, you know, pretty much like, I ain't impressed. <laughs> uh, so I kind of caught the vibe, and I was like, hey, man, why don't you throw out characters that you want to see, and I'll just do them. And he looked at me like, Really? Who is this kid? And so he, you know, he was like East Coast rapper, West Coast rapper. He just started throwing out characters, and I would do the character. And he was like, "Oh, okay, him, give him." So that's kind of how I got the job. But, but that was that was me. You know, I'm a fan. Yes. That's how I started, right? I started like everybody else does. I started with my mom telling me she wanted to take me to see Star Wars, and I had my skateboard at the time, and I was not interested. In Star Wars. In fact, I thought that was the lamest title for a movie I had ever heard. Really? That's <laughs> interesting. Oh, but wait, but wait, but wait. I know that I'm... Star Wars? I, I, I know. I was yeah. like, quit playing, Mama. And, and my mama was telling me it's hot? I know you tripping. I was like, <laughs> take several seats, black ladies. They sit down four or five times. Like, I'm not playing. So she forced me to go. She literally forced me to go. And I went to the the, the cinema on Pleasantburg Drive in Greenville, South Carolina. I remember walking down the hallway with maroon walls, and I remember running my hand along those walls thinking, sweet Jesus, please help me get out of here as quickly as I can. And when that Ooh. movie was over, <laughs> I looked at my mama, and I was like, I need a light. I need a lightsaber right now. <laughs> right now. I got the fast, mama. I got the fast. I, yes. It, it, it spoke to me. And, and when I saw Lando Calrissian, yes. I had never seen myself in those roles before. And suddenly I saw somebody who looked like me, who I, 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 was, I was empowered, right? I was, I was connected. And, and suddenly I was thrust into this fandom in a way that I hadn't been before. So that's how I started. And that's that, the first part of my career was a lot like that. You know, you take the jobs that come your way and you go audition for them and, you know, you try and uh, do what you can do. By the time I got around to Drumline, it was really 
you know, I'd already done science fiction, which had always been a big thing to me. I'd done Time Machine. I'd done, you know, evolution and those sorts of things. But I'd also learned a lot about the business. And, you know, I I had a a manager that was very close to me for many, many years. I I still love this man very much to this day, even though, you know, we haven't spoken in, God, probably 10 plus years. And I really was upset that there is this this thing that I felt like I was battling against. And I knew what it was. It was racism because I consistently kept being told that even though I'd achieved all these things, it didn't matter that I was black and well-known. An unknown white kid could still get a movie easier than me because he had foreign value even though no one knew who he was. And because my skin didn't travel over the seas. And then when I would travel to Europe on my own, suddenly I would meet these fans who were white. And I'm like, okay, I thought nobody knew me here. Mm. And it was very weird to me. And when I would say this to people in Hollywood, even today, you know, people look at you sideways when you talk about, you know, people of color being in starring roles. They act like, you know, Denzel's a special case or they're in a franchise movie. So Vin Diesel's a special case because of Fast and Furious or Will Smith is in a special case. So I thought that my representation's job was to advocate against that racist system on my behalf. But they didn't think that was their job. And that really changed uh, for me a lot. It, it changed the way I looked at it. And I will never forget, they came to me with a movie called Like Mike. Mm. I had a choice between Like Mike and Drumline. I, wow. I remember Like Mike. Oh, Who doesn't remember Like Mike? But- and I was in a full-on fight with my agents. Because they wanted me to do Like Mike because it paid more money. Of course. And it was going to be a more mainstream movie and what have you. And I was like, I cannot do a Magic Tennis Shoe movie. Mm. Like, I don't have kids. Like, what do I look like in a Magic Tennis Shoe movie? Like, I I don't understand. This movie is about the HBCU experience. This movie is about American history. This movie is about the history that my family grew up in. My father went to Alabama State. My father coached at Florida Florida State. I knew Dr. Uh, Dr. White at Florida A&M. I used to run around and play there. Historical oh, wow. black colleges for a kid from the deep south. My father coached at South Carolina State. I grew, grew up mm. in the historical black college experience. That's my experience. I knew it. So for me, I was looking at them going, are y'all, are y'all crazy? <laughs> like, I, I could not understand. And it was upsetting to me. And it, it ended my relationship with my agents at the time. Wow. I, I, I could not understand how come they couldn't understand how important Drumline was to me. Mm. And how unimportant Like Mike was to me. Where Like Mike just felt, I was like... And, and that was nothing against Bow Wow, okay? It, it had nothing to do with that. I want to be clear about that. You're doing the Bow Wow challenge. challenge. I, I, listen, I, listen, I, I'm not mad at Bow Wow. I know he ain't on a private jet. I know he was flying Southwest. I saw it all. But for real, though, I could not understand. And I realized y'all don't care about my artistic journey. Y'all don't care that this resonates to me, that this is important to me. And truth be told, they didn't let me talk about that in the press. They didn't let me talk about how important that was to me in the press. They tried to sell that movie as a teeny bopper movie with Nick Cannon and Zoe Saldana. That movie was incredibly important. So Ben Amin and I are both Howard grads. So Howard, you, H.U., what's up, Bison, all that. All that. 
I saw that movie at Howard. Like it was before Ooh. anybody even got it. It was for for whatever reason or another. Up in Crampton. Yes, in Crampton. Like mm. we yeah. were. I guess I guess there was <laughs> an HBCU tour where you guys were previewing that movie for yes, us first. Exactly. And and I was in there seeing it for the first time, and that that was monumental to me to be able to see that and be able to relate. Like that was stuff that was happening on the yard, like that day. That day. <laughs> okay, so here's how crazy that was. So that movie. This is the part no one talks about. That that movie is based on Dallas Austin's life. Yep, yep, yep. It started, the movie was really, it took place in high school. High school. Mm-hmm. All right, <laughs> Dallas Austin's brothers were all in the band. So Dallas had heard them playing those cadences since he was in middle school. Mm. Okay, and Dallas can play by ear. He wasn't classically trained. Right. So Dallas and I, he's one of my closest friends. Our moms are best friends. Like, that's my dog. So Dallas had hit me up along with a woman named Donna Isaacson, who's still the head of casting at 20th Century Fox. Donna Isaacson was the one that called me and said, I want this to be officer and a gentleman. Mm. And I read the script and I was like, I hear you. I understand the tone of what you're saying, but it can't be that. It, It can't be that because... We're not in a generation where young people want old people telling them what to think. And even though I'm playing somebody older than I am, it still needs to be somebody who's made mistakes. He can't be preaching at you. He's got to be on your team. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so they allowed me to sort of, you know, mold it and tweak it and sort of make it, you know, what I wanted it to be, which was Miles Davis. I wanted it to be Miles Davis very badly. Um, And uh, I wanted him to, to talk about musicianship very badly. Um, because often, you know, we're just gifted. We're not smart. We're just gifted. Um, mm. So, you know, those little things that I always heard on the sports side and on the music side where you see a black ball player, he got all type of talent. You see a white ball player, he really understands the game. You know, it, it's, you know, those little things that often come up in the narrative that, that speak to us not being cunning, us not being smart, us not having the same skill set as this individual. So those things are what was important to me in that film. And um, I was proud to be able to do it, but I didn't get to talk about any of that because nobody, they didn't care about none of that. Um, I mean, I thought that the audience would. And I, I think that happened because the movie is still in heavy rotation today. Yeah. Um, and I tried to choose my roles that way. That's the only thing I've ever tried to do is go, is this character legit? Do I believe people will resonate with this character? And do I believe 10, 15 years from now, people will still be watching this movie because they understand and have fallen in love with the character. And I think that's what I've been most blessed with because, you know, Drumline and The Replacements and Double Take and Evolution and so many of the film, Office Space, so many of the films I've done still are on heavy rotation on cable, on television. But you know, some of those movies weren't as successful as the box office as people would have liked them to be. But I didn't really care because it's a marathon. It ain't a hundred yard dash. Sure. No, I mean, and like you said, you've had these roles. You know, your moments in office space are some of the best parts. I mean, in Drumline, bro, like Tatiana said, you know, we're both Howard grads. So that is just like life to us and to everyone. Like I watched it like, I think like three weeks ago. No lie. I came on cable and I sat and watched through the whole thing again. It's just, you know, it's a classic so, you know, it's like you say you just had these roles where it's like they just made this impact. And now you've got, you know, American gods. And we just want to ask you, like, are you aware of the gods hashtag, the G-A-W, 
DS had Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, you know, that is Fan Bro Show, you know, originated. <laughs> so we just wanted to make sure that you were up on that. <laughs> we, yeah. We, okay. I, I, I alternate. I'll hashtag sometimes God. I'll hashtag God Squad, but I always keep American Gods because you know how Twitter is. After two hashtags, you're done. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we always, so we, the other reason why we're mentioning that is because that's also a universal fan con thing as well. Like we originated yes. the hashtag gods, G-A-W-D-S. We also hashtag American gods with it, but we want to make sure that everyone, including you, obviously, Mr. Uh, who's coming to the universal fan con. Oh, all day long. Can't wait to do it. <laughs> oh, can't wait for universal fan con. <laughs> can't wait. I, I will, here's what I will do. Moving forward, I will make sure that I always have those two hashtags on just so, you know, I can represent. Thank um, you. Uh, but, yeah, I've seen it. I love it. In fact, by the way, uh, uh, Stars of Fremantle and them are aware of it, too, because they said, oh, my, I keep saying this hashtag. It's awesome. So there's been no pushback. Everybody's excited about it. Awesome, awesome, awesome. That's it. We don't. We're not trying to take it over, but we're just like you know, there is a whole nother contingent that's about that life. <laughs> that's about that life, yeah. And, and I want to talk. And for me, it's exciting to be able to talk to that contingent because you know, I, I came, I came out of the contingent. I came out of y'all. Like I'm, you are where I'm from. So right. For me, it's hard. It's hard to. It's hard to be here and not see and be able to share this moment with you. To me. I'm here with you. We all here together. Ain't, ain't no alone. So uh, I, you know, I'm with it. Like I'm, I'm, I'm with it. I'm with it heavy. Look, I remember the days when I was you, right? I remember when I had my little homeboys production agency. You know, and I was trying to get people to pay attention, but it wasn't a little homeboys production agency to me. You know, I mean, it was what I was doing. I was trying to be yeah. professional. So you know, I don't understand that. I, I really don't. I, I understand that. You know, look, people come at me all the time. I get that, but you know. Uh, if I, I would be lying if I said I don't have an affinity for people who are trying to you know to do their thing and you know frankly I judge people based on is 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 your shit together you know you came straight up you called it I was like what am up okay all right okay. <laughs> calm down I ain't trying to cause no problems I was look the, I, I, the funny part is when I Chris um, I was sitting with uh, Crispin Glover who is yes. the yes. and Crispin said to me he goes man people really come up to you and they, they get very passionate when they're talking to you. And I say, Christopher, let me give you some advice. If a black woman come up to you and say she wants something, do what she says. <laughs> Facts. <laughs> and he started laughing. He said, he said, really, why do you say that? I said, I said, that cause, I said that's not a stereotype. I said that because I was raised by black women. That's why. <laughs> that's why, fool. I'm trying to help you understand. <laughs> and I'm glad you tell you you're teaching him. Thank you very much. That really uh, means a all. lot to us. Not at all, thank no. You. Thank you. For real, thank you. You guys do a, a great show. And, and you know, you're about that life. And, and uh, it's crazy to me. Like, here's, here's the thing that really blows me away. When I first got my first writing job, I was on a different world. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I got hired by Susan Fales and Yvette Lee Bowser, who's uh, one of the producers on um, um, oh God, um, Dear White People. Right. Um, okay. Yeah, which I love. I love, love Dear White People. Yes. Um, and... I remember when I first came to Hollywood, everybody was wearing, Hollywood was wearing support black colleges t-shirts. Like that's what the, you know, that's what people wore, the Kenty cloth, support right. black colleges. That was a part of the Hillman thing in a different world. It was yeah. a part of the Martin thing, the Fresh Prince thing. I mean, 
it was very much a part. And it's very strange to me to see a Hollywood now, particularly a young black Hollywood, that seems entirely divorced from that HBCU experience where so many of our young people are entering the workforce, entering the world. It's just weird that, that now those, that bond is torn apart. Mm. But, but that's where our music comes from. That's where our art comes from. I mean, hell, that's where Diddy came from. That's where Spike came from. Everybody <laughs> came from there. You know what I mean? Like th that, was, that was part of the community. And so, again, that was excitement about Drumline. So it's always weird to me that, we've, that people have forgotten about that. Like there's, there's no connection anymore between those two. And, you know, I just try and do what I can to reconnect those things because that was part of the excitement that made me feel comfortable in Hollywood because I knew what that experience was. And so Hollywood felt like, oh, I know what this was, but it was weird because I was talking to people who went to Harvard and Princeton and they would have a support black colleges t-shirt on. I was like, but you didn't go to no black college though. Um, <laughs> but did nobody in your family go to no black college? Hell, I didn't even go to a black college, but I'm like, at least I grew up on the campus. I, <laughs> I know what it is. Life. I'm like, I, I'm about the life. At least I know what it is. I'm like, how you, at, at Princeton? Like, what did y'all... <laughs> It was, it was just weird, but, but, and I used to make fun of it. And now I feel like that was, that was my shortcoming, right? I didn't understand what they were trying to do at that time, which was be connected. And now I'm looking at them going, my bad, my mistake. I was young and stupid. Uh, and I understand now that even though you went to Princeton, you were still about that life and that was your way of showing it. And who the hell was I to be making fun of you at that time? Uh, but, you know, you know, live and learn, you know, live and learn. No. But that's the thing, though. Even like recently on Blackish, the daughter went off to school and they mentioned Howard on the episode. They mentioned yeah. Morehouse. They mentioned Spellman. But then she went off to, you know, and I was like, oh, because we don't have different world right now. We don't wow. have that type of thing. We have that. Yeah. Oh, we, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, we, you know, that's missing right now, pretty much. <laughs> yes, it, it very much is. I mean, when I think about like, dude, Lionel Richie's a friend of mine. I love Lionel. And, uh, He's always on concert, you know what I mean? And he kills it. And he's super funny, of which I think people don't expect of him. But I'm always reminded that he came out of the HBCU experience. Like, that's mm. where the Commodores came from. And Lionel talks about it. Like, he's, he's got an attitude about it. Yes. And people would not expect Lionel Richie to have an <laughs> attitude about it. Right? People act like, Lionel Richie? I'm like, y'all are tripping right now. Like, Lionel Richie does not play with it. But he's about that life. <laughs> It's amazing to me that people don't see it, man. But it's what he's more about that life than a number of other people who you would think to be about that life. Right. Mm. Okay. Way more about that life. <laughs> wow. All right, well, Orlando, you have survived the interview. I mean, you've done more than survived <laughs> you, the interview segment. You crushed it. <laughs> yes, of fan bros. But now we have the brat segment, our rapid fire questions. Go. We have Orlando. Oh, I didn't even have to ask for you ready. I'm ready. <laughs> all right, all right, well then. The Falcon or War Machine? War Machine. Mm. We in a war. What you, come on, what am I going to do? <laughs> 40, 45, y'all, 45. <laughs> right. Listen, we 9/11. We don't name our tragedies, okay? We give them numbers. 45. 45. That's fired. Shots fired. Wow. Magneto or Professor X? Ooh, Magneto. Luke Cage or Black Panther? Luke Cage. 
Wakanda or Zamunda? Wakanda. Mm. The Wire or Breaking Bad? The Wire. Stop <laughs> playing. We gotta, we, gotta, we gotta retire this question. <laughs> Eventually, we gotta retire. Biker Boys or Drumline? Ooh. Drumline. Lex Luthor or Doctor Doom? Doctor Doom. Star Wars or Star Trek? Ooh, that's not even fair. <laughs> um, wow. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go Star Wars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have to. I have to. I'm, that's why <laughs> it, it changed your life as it did mine, you know. Right, I have to, exactly. And and in the most recent well not the most recent, but the the, the updated iteration. Mm-hmm. It it continues to be more diverse. It, con- it continues. It continues. Yeah. All right. And George Lucas is married to a black woman. So hey, <laughs> <laughs> what you want from me? What you want from me? Orlando Jones keeping it real <laughs> in the 2017. All right. See, my mama come over here and slap me right in the face. <laughs> I, I can hear her now. Why you go with the trick? Uh, what the? Uh, look, my mama's my mama's lit at all times. Do you hear me? I believe it. But please believe it. Please believe it. I see who her son is. So I, believe it. <laughs> I am. I am censored compared to her. Wow. Oh well, damn. We need your mama on the show, then. No, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. No, uh-uh. Uh-uh. You know, no, you don't. No, my mama. My mama. My mama has no interlocutor between brain and mouth. Okay. <laughs> My mama cussed my daddy out on a regular basis. Uh, my mama cussed me out. My mama cussed my wife out on a regular basis. Uh, my mama is nothing to play with. That's all um, I can tell you. This is, this is real life, though. That's all right. All right, mm-hmm. next, next. Favorite Wesley Snipes movie? Passenger 57. All right. Dude, okay. you have to understand. He said, always bet on black. I had never heard <laughs> nobody say that before. <laughs> And it was directed by Kevin Hooks, and Kevin Hooks directed Madiba. You know, it all comes full circle. Okay, okay, <laughs> nice. Nice, all right. In any medium, books, TV, film, comics, whatever, what character's death hurt you the most? What character's death hurt me the most? Yep. Hmm. Huh. That's an interesting question. Any medium, who got me? Wow. I have never thought about that. Hmm. That'd be somebody. I mean, it could be, I know you may have multiple. It could be anything. I mean, Mufasa, like anybody who really hurt you. When Mufasa? Okay, I go with Mufasa as one. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think who really got me and made me crazy. I'm, try, I'm trying to think of somebody who really got me insane. And also, I'm trying to think of somebody in the comic book universe in particular that got me crazy. Oh, give me, I'm just running through my head. When was it Punisher uh, that like disemboweled somebody? I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I think it was Punisher. Yeah, I think it was Punisher that disemboweled somebody. That hurt. <laughs> that 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 was just completely wrong. And whoa, whoa but what, hold on, doesn't Spider Man eat his family? Wait, what? <laughs> what about Venom? Are you talking about? Sp- you talking about Carnage of Venom or somebody? Yeah, Carnage of Venom, yeah. 
eat his family? That's something crazy <laughs> like that? I can't remember. I can't remember. Some, I can't remember. I think he gets, uh, hold on. He gets bitten, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he he goes to, I think it was Aunt May and Mary, and Mary Jane he was trying to keep safe. And then he doesn't do a lot to protect them. I mean, he gets bit, but he don't really protect Aunt May and Mary Jane, so they kind of die. So he kind of lets their family get eaten. <laughs> I mean, worms and stuff eventually do. Eat them, so yeah. yeah, but I mean, if you Spider-Man and you got all the spider powers, I mean, I'll put it this way. If I was Spider-Man, the first people I'd be protected is my family. I mean, <laughs> this dude was like, oh, you can have them on Spider-Man. I'm like, oh, Peter Parker, you tripping right now. Speaking, speaking of comics, whether it's a character or a book series or whatever, what's your favorite comic? My favorite, favorite comic right now? Sure. All, all time, either one. Yep. Oh. Or both. Yeah. Let, let I, I've yeah. always been, uh, look, I'm a huge Black Lightning fan. Wow. I was always, I've always been a Black Lightning fan. Um, um, I've always been a fan of all of those sort of comics that came out of that group with Dennis Cowan. Mm-hmm. And uh, and all those guys, I, I fortunately got a chance to to know them and meet them. But you know, I also have to give it up. Like Mad TV was my comic because it, it had satire. I didn't understand. I just I loved it. Spy versus Spy was my thing. Yes. I, I thought I was the Black Spy. <laughs> <laughs> so I used to dress up like the Black Spy and Spy versus Spy, and you know, and I used to get mad every time the White Spy beat the Black Spy and Spy versus Spy. <laughs> can we can, can we do this as a real live skit, please? Uh, I, could, I could probably do that for real, but I, you know, I mean, I know it's silly, but I was as a kid, it was the first comic that was just really funny to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it had all this contemporary stuff in it, and you know, Sergio's drawings and whatnot. I just I fell in love with it, so I'm gonna go Spy versus Spy. Wow. No, that's definitely a classic because I used to read Mad and Cracked, something serious back then. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 yeah something yeah, yeah. serious. And, and there are plenty of dope, you know, black comic book characters that, you know, you can always rattle off, but I always feel like I'm being, you know, a little short-sighted. You know, Black Panther's dope, you know what I mean? Like, you know, Spawn was dope, Bumblebee, you know I mean? There's many, you know, Adrian is sh- I'll tell you who I really love. Uh, Mama Jones is really dope, too. Mama Jones? Yeah, she's on... Um, Henry Miller's uh, world. Oh, uh, no, no. Um, um, why am I blanking? It's not Martha, Jones. Martha, Martha Jones. Jones. Martha, Martha Jones. Jones. Yeah, Frank, yeah, Martha yeah, Frank, Jones. Frank, yeah, Frank, well, Frank she, Miller. Frank Miller. She eventually does become Mama Jones. Yeah, she becomes Mama it. Jones. Exactly. And <laughs> Static was dope. Static was dope. Yeah, oh, Static yes. Jacks. Static oh, was yes. really dope. And, I mean, look, right, Michonne was what I shipped on Walking Dead. Uh, okay. Like, Michonne was life <laughs> for me on Walking yes. Dead. Like, when Michonne was on camera, I, you know, I was yelling at, you know, I was yelling at my four-year-old to shut up. I'm like, quit playing, girl! Like, I, <laughs> my daughter would be looking at me like, Daddy, why are you so aggressive all the time? <laughs> I'm like, Michonne is killing the game. And Cyborg was dope, you know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. John Stewart was dope. Um, you know, I'm excited to see what they're going to do with Black Panther, because I think that could be really dope. Amanda Waller was dope. Um, yes. Yes. Oh, um, uh, and what is it? Uh, 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 there's a new one. Uh, uh, Riri Williams? No, uh, uh, it's Bitch Planet. Came out oh, right when Sleepy yeah. Hollow launched. Uh, yes. Uh, Kamu Kong uh, Kogo. Yes, uh, yes. Yes. Uh, yes. Smart, smart, ready to fight. You know what I mean? Yes. Uh, you know, de- you know, defends her. You know, kind of, kind of like um, Orange is the New Black because she defends her prison mates. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, it kind, you know, in the, in the, you know, 
old school prison. But yeah, Kogo, yeah, she she bring the punch. That solo issue of hers when they show her origin, gangster. Thank you, gangster. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, straight gangster. Like so, yeah. I, I, I let me let me move that up uh, ahead of Martha Jones a little bit because that's yeah. newer and more contemporary and absolutely not playing with it. Absolutely, absolutely not. All right. I have okay. real tears in my eyes. I am so happy right now. Just, just to let yeah. you know, <laughs> this, is, this is fantastic. Yeah, my, you, you realize what level of nerd I am now. <laughs> I, I've always known, but to talk to you personally, it just makes me so pleased. So pleased. Okay, okay, we're almost done. It's only two left. All good. Comic books or hip hop? One hip-hop. got to go. Hip hop. Hip hop forever. That means you'll keep comic books. Uh, that means the whole weight of hip hop history is gone, my dude. You also got some hip hop history too, Mr. Jones. You know, so yeah, Mr. Sprite. That's I know, right? That's hard. I, hold on, for my life, yeah, I gotta go. Hip hop has been a central force in my life, so it's hard mm-hmm. for me, hard for me to let hip hop go. I love comics, but as soon as I heard Public Enemy, that was. You know, as soon as I heard, Peace! how long can you go? Death Row, what a brother know. Uh, come on, I just, uh, you know, I just, hip hop has been, uh, oh, uh, hold on, as soon as I heard BDP, you know, that was yes. also, you know, uh, you know, I, I really feel like hip hop has had so many voices. Yeah. Uh, Wu Tang was kind of like a comic book to me. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I gotta go hip hop because I feel like it encompasses comic books in a way that I don't think comic books encompasses hip hop. So you would save hip hop, get her with comic books, okay? I would save hip hop. I, I like that answer too. That that is very true right there. You know what I mean? You can't let go of hip. Listen, hip hop is a black American African creation, mm-hmm. and they called it a fad, and it took over the world. Mm. And that didn't get created anywhere else. That one's ours. Mm-hmm. So I love comic books, but it's not ours the way hip hop is. And it's a culture. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It ain't, you know, that I, I, I can't let that culture go. I mean, that's that's my that's TJ Swan, the maximum three, funky four plus one more, sequence, you know, Jimmy Spicer, Kumo D. I mean, if we're gonna go real back with it, you know what I mean? I've watched the evolution of it and been in the middle of it the whole time. I can't I can't let it go. Mm-mm. You know, the bridge is over. The bridge is over. What am I not? Brother, my <laughs> philosophy changed my life and like you said, yes. first time I heard fight the power, it was like a something snapped in my head that was it you know i was like okay exactly right it yeah. did, something snaps in your head i mean it, yeah. it, it, it was my rock and roll right mm-hmm. and, and i loved rock and roll but when i when i heard that i was like no 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 sir no 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 this is uh it, it spoke it spoke to me in a way that other things had previously not ever spoke to me and, and it was tackling things like religion and 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 other i just yeah hip-hop sorry that's it easy no, even on that, like I tell people all the time, go read the Wikipedia for Fight the Power because just the musical, when you right? talk about musical creation and what went into the making of that beat alone, it's like, it'll blow your mind. Chuck D, you know, Flavor Flav, classically trained musician. Yep. Underrated. Super, super underrated. Underrated, you know, I mean, some, you know, even KRS-One. In terms mm-hmm. of the things he was talking about, what he was talking about at the time, you know, 
people act like Heather B wasn't even there. <laughs> like for real, no, no, Heather B. I'm like, are y'all playing right now? I mean, look, when I hear people name the top five rappers and they don't name Missy Elliott, I truly side at it. Okay, mm. say that. Mm. Say right? that. Mm. Thank you can't. You can't help but be like, are you for real right now? Like, for real. Oh, okay. Uh, all right, go sit your little new ass down. Just got in the game. <laughs> Learn your little sixteen balls. Now you're trying to be somebody. Uh uh-uh. uh. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that that's me. Missy's another one. First time I heard her on that. Um, she's on an R&B remix of some record, and I was like, "What the hell is, is that? This? Yeah, what, what is, is that about? What is that about? Yeah, ridiculous. Black thought. Yeah. <laughs> people forget how many people Black thought has come up against that they consider legends, and he ate them up in a verse. Oh, he 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 don't do songs with people because of that. It's not it's not worth his time. And they don't want him there. No, no, they don't. Want him there. It was like the first time I heard "Why Is That." Do you remember that song, the BDP song, dropped like in '89? Yes. Yes. When I first heard "Why Is That," I rewinded that track. I must listen to the track like I don't know how many times, maybe a hundred times. I could not understand how come I had never heard any of that. Mm. Like that actually led me to one of the major discoveries of my life. I did not know that Martin Luther King had a comic book. He damn sure did. <laughs> the Montgomery story. Yep. And I certainly didn't know that the Montgomery story was the comic book that was being used in Arab up- uprisings all around the world. Like, that's what they were reading. I, wow. No, I was like, how come nobody ever mentioned to me that MLK had a comic book? Like, n- hold on. Not even black people mentioned that. So I, mm. you can't be mad at white people about that. Like, it's not like... <laughs> It's not like your black teacher was like, put that Superman down and check out this Montgomery story. Like, that never happened. <laughs> I never heard it in school. That's for damn sure. Right? Nobody. So, you know, I, that kind of stuff is it's just, it's still mind-boggling, you know? Mind-boggling. For real. Yeah, I don't want this episode to ever end. Okay, but it has to. It has to. I apologize. I have rambled on. I will no, shut up. No, this is great. No. This is great. We just We just wish you were, you know... Like if you just visit us every day, just visit us every day in the studio. We, we will, we will do it again, man. This was, this was a lot of fun and a, and a real pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. Real talk. Thank you. We got one more to wrap, and then we'll get you out of here. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. If you could have any one superpower, what would it be? Love. I wish I could just, I wish you could just pop that on somebody. I wish you could take the most horrible, hateful, racist person and hit them with it, and suddenly they. They have compassion and empathy all of a sudden. I, w- I would like that. I would like that as a superpower because that that would that would create real change. Preach. That's what's up. That's what's up. All right. Well, you know, please let the internets know where they can find you at. You know, out there and what you got coming up next. Anything we should be looking out for. So uh, it's been a crazy year. It's been an awesome year. Uh, Book of Love was out earlier this year. Uh, the film I did with uh, Jason Sudeikis and uh, Jessica Biel. Uh, Justin Timberlake did the soundtrack. Um, obviously, Madiba I'm really proud of. I got to do with Lawrence Fishburne and Teddy Fettel, uh, Tashiwe, and uh, the incredible cast, Dave Harewood. Um, American Gods, obviously, right now for the next several weeks on uh, Stars or Amazon. And then uh, on HBO, I have a new show that I just did called Room 104. Mm. Uh, really, really crazy show, basically about a, a hotel, sort of like one of those airport hotels that has all these different type of transient traffic people in and out. And it focuses on what happens in one particular room with all these different guests at the hotel. Mm. So uh, it's, it's creepy and strange and funny and 
And uh, I, I just, I, I really enjoy doing that. So that's out next on HBO. And uh, beyond that, I'll be at Universal Fan Con and a bunch of other cons. And, and uh, you know, I'm launching a new, uh, I have an app called Cosmunity. Oh. Oh. Um, What's that about? The con in your pocket at all times. Always able to connect. Someplace you can share your fan fiction, fan art, cosplay, shop. Just a, a universe really built for fans that's about servicing what happens at cons and servicing those, those things year-round and uh, giving wow. that community the tools that uh, it presently doesn't have. So Cosmunity will be at you very soon. Uh, we've been working through beta for the last uh, couple of uh, years, actually. Uh, it's already up on uh, iTunes and Android and all that jazz. We actually just are making some of the final tweaks to it and we'll relaunch very soon. So I'm excited for people to be able to check that out. And for the, you know, for fans to really have a community that's theirs that cares about what they care about. Because uh, for me, the most important thing in the con community is authenticity. Without it, you know, we just like everybody else trying to sell you something. And that ain't why I'm in it. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Right. Mad love, yo. Mad love. All right. Well, fan bros, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back with more fan bros show. This is DJ Maceo, a.k.a. Dr. Spock. This is Jojo from Trendsetters. You know what it is. It's your boy, Young Guru, a.k.a. The Beast, a.k.a. Hank McCoy, a.k.a. Nada Brahma. Hey, yo, 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 this is Foul Munch. Oh, hey, this is your friendly neighborhood superhero, Jean Grey. What's up? This is Spike Lee from the Republic of Brooklyn, New York. This is Juno Diaz. Hey, yo, 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 what up? It's Prodigy from the infamous Mob Deep, man, the H&IC. You know what I'm saying? This is Anthony Frazier from The Fat Startup. This is Axel Alonso, editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics. Yo, this is Carly Hustle, and when I'm not taking over the world, I'm listening to fanbros.com. Welcome back, fam bros. Oh my God. Oh my God. Again, shout out to my homie DJ Money because oh my God. Oh my God. Again. <laughs> Big, I mean, super love to Orlando Jones for coming Word. through. And oh my God, blessing the spaceship like that. That mm-hmm. That's, I'm, I don't know, Tatiana. I think that's top five, maybe top three ever, you know, to drop in on us in the spaceship. That, there's, <laughs> there, I told you I was crying. There are no words for what we just experienced. None, none at all. Oh my God, oh my God, again. Whoo, you know, like I said, watch American Gods on Stars. If you haven't seen that second episode yet, then, you know, you need to, you might need to just go ahead and rewatch that intro after listening to that because, oh, Lord, it's fire, fire, fire. But, you know, the fire's not done yet. Oh, no, no, the show's just getting started because it's now time for The Guac is Extra. And as always, make sure you send in your questions to contact at fanbros.com or hit us on the Twitter at Show. Thank you to everyone who sent in their questions this week. 
and every week for that matter. And we got a yeah. humdinger. I mean, a this is a this is a brain bender from Lamont, you big dummy, <laughs> who says that almost all sci-fi subgenres explore ideas of parallel universes. But what about perpendicular universes? <laughs> well, one, why'd you use that voice? <laughs> Two, <laughs> what in the hell is a perpendicular universe? All right. Now, like I say, when he hit us with when Lamont, your big dummy, hit us with this question, I was like, yo, I that I was sitting there like, wow, that's a good one. Because, I, you know, I know what perpendicular means, obviously. And I know what parallel universes are because it's always in science fiction. You know, it's like our universe is parallel to other universes that, you know, because of certain actions we take in this universe, it splits off and forms different things. Like in another universe, I'm king of the world, you know, in another universe, I'm a bum. You know, in another universe, I'm a scientist. In another universe, I'm a jet fighter. You know, it's just different things happen. Not a jet fighter, mm-hmm. a jet fighter pilot. But yeah, you know what I meant. And so it's like, I get that, but what is a perpendicular universe? And then yeah. I realized, you know, after doing a little research on the net and stuff and thinking about it, it's the fact that it's more of a metaphorical question because a parallel universe is a perpendicular universe because at some point you make an action like Flash decides not to save Iris spoiler and um (laughs) (laughs) it splits off and forms a different universe but that means it intersects right there that makes it perpendicular so typically when i think perpendicular i think of 90 degree angles right yeah but it doesn't have to be exactly 90 in this case i guess but it could be and it doesn't really matter because it goes off in that direction 90 and it's still going in a flat line of time you know universe is still going in that it doesn't matter what direction it goes off in that's still something I have to uh, research a bit because I'm still trying to understand, like, because I feel like there's no one explanation to what a perpendicular universe is. Just like there's no one explanation to what a parallel universe but is. I, That's what I mean. Well, it's pa- kind of like a metaphorical question. Yeah, well, parallel is actually very, I don't want to say easy, but it's more simple to grasp simply because the the idea or the the, the best understanding of there has been used so many times in, in media and in cinema and elsewhere the fact that there are two different universes or two different timelines running concurrently uh, per, uh parallel to each other that that okay. makes sense right uh, the uh, idea of perpendicular universe is basically you're telling me that there is our universe right and then there may be another yeah. universe that goes through our universe but we from what i understand we wouldn't sense it that that no, other no, universe no, exists. Look, okay look at it like this okay uh, let's say, you know, at one point, okay, now let's look at it like this. Draw a straight line, right? Going straight up a page. That's okay. time, right? Going straight up a page. Got it. At one point on that page, put a dot, right? At that dot is where you made a choice and this other universe splits off because of your choice. You decided to go left on that street instead of right. And because of that, your whole life went differently. Right. So at that point, the universe goes perpendicular from that point outward. And off on its own, you made that other choice in that other universe, and it does its own thing. But it's still a straight line off on that page, right. off into infinity, because time is infinite. So it just keeps going, boom, whatever, And but it's perpendicular so to the person. that's not considered a parallel universe? It is. That's what I mean. It's, it's, it's all metaphorical. It's just a metaphorical way of looking at it. Boom. So with a, I don't want to say real life example, but with a, with a more tangible example, is that like the upside down? If we're talking no, about no, uh, what? Uh, oh, that's that's an interesting because yeah, that's uh, 
the upside because the upside down in Stranger Things is something where something happened to that world and it became parallel and it was something bad, obviously, where all the life has been drained out of it. Yeah, yeah it is definitely. But I feel yes. like that could be an example of perpendicular only because because it goes through our universe, but it's not from one of the stuff that I've read. It, they mentioned that one of the interpretations is that that universe exists. It goes through our universe, but you can't sense it because it's on a different line if you will from us so most people can't sense the upside well all people except for what 11 they can't sense the upside down so yeah but that's also like a parallel universe like most people Mm. can't sense a parallel universe except for someone like vibe on flash who can go through them so that's i mean it's kind of a metaphorical thing more than a you know or philosophical thing more than like a you know it's just a way of looking at it like well, that's... well, Lamont, this is why sci-fi <laughs> subgenres don't explore the idea of perpendicular universe because the interpretations feel like they're they're all over the map. Yeah, definitely. And I was talking to Tatiana during the break about this. There's a comic book out there called Planetary by Warren Ellis. I talk about it a lot on the show. Obviously, I haven't in a while, but it's just one of the best comics you'll ever read. There's like three trades. It's really short. I think there's only 24 issues total maybe even 22, but it's just one of the greatest things ever. And the last issue deals with time travel and has a really great explanation of this whole perpendicular universe as well as a lot of other things about time travel and parallel universes. It's just such an ill book. Check it out. But definitely a effing great question, Lamont, you big dummy. <laughs> and real quickly, we got a couple others. Tatiana hitting me with them. From Puerto Black 3000, they write, what was your favorite and least favorite season of The Wire? There are no least favorite seasons <laughs> of The Wire. Yes, there Puerto is. Black 3000. Yes, there is that oh. shipyard season where they wow. were in the ship. That was just wow. boring as hell it's to me. Expected Mad Sweeney, who stars I in that shipyard season. That doesn't make it. it. Did you call it a shityard? <laughs> I thought that's what you said. No, I said ship. Ship. Oh, no, sorry. but that's funny too. Um, I understand gosh. that, you know, Pablo Schrebner, <laughs> but I don't care. It was it was boring as hell. Oh no, it's so great. That is my season. I mean, mm-hmm. I understand everyone hates on the second season, but to me, that is what. Distinguished the wire from every other drug dealing show pretty much ever made because it showed where the drugs come from and how African Americans and poor people in the city don't bring these drugs in. But it also showed how these drugs and everything affects poor white people, just not as much, but in the same or different manner, but does affect them negatively as it does poor black people. It showed how everyone gets fucked. Mm, and that poor. is something that it, the wire, you know, puts it above and beyond everything. A lot of people hate on the last season more than even the second one, but I don't even hate on that. So, whatever. Good question, Portal Black. But they're they're all effing great. It's the best show ever made. And last up, big shout outs to fan bros. You know, big time listener supporter. You know, family. Lel. A.K.A. the Thriller in Manila Envelopes, A.K.A. Drinker of the Infinity Goblet. And he says he lives in a Brooklyn studio and, you know, the comics I copped hashtag is killing him. And I know (laughs) because my man be posting every week and L.E.L. you be going hard, son. I'm like, yo, bro, like, chill. But anyway, basically, he's saying that he has all these comics in the studio and he doesn't know what to do with them. 
and he was like, yo, what can I do with them? You know, where can I give them? Because I want other people to read them, but I don't want to, you know, I don't want to throw them in the trash, obviously. I like to, if they're suitable for all ages, I like to put my joints out on the street, you know, especially in Brooklyn, because people will just pick them up, you know, oh, go yeah. to a park, leave them on a park bench, you know, people, especially if they're all ages. If they're not, or even if they are all ages and you want to do something more productive with them, take them to your local library. Mm. Donate them to libraries because libraries are great places. Shout out to my homeboy who also listens to the show and told me that I never mentioned libraries in Comments Like Ops. And I should be because libraries are one of the first places. No, are the first place that I found comic books. I got this Iron Man comic in this library where it was... Uh, Tony Stark versus Jim Rhodes, and it was so live. And Jim Rhodes told Tony Stark that he if, that he knew he could find a thimble of alcohol anywhere in the state. <laughs> and I didn't even know how cold blooded that was at the time, <laughs> but it stood with me forever because I was like, "What's a thimble of alcohol?" And then when I grew up, I was like, "This Negro just told this dude, this alcoholic, that he Al alcoholic, that he could find a thimble of oh yo, cold blooded." But anyway, so that's the greatness you can find in libraries, kids. So so L E L, make sure you donate your comics. You know, like I say, I either leave them out or you know, the great way is libraries. And also, anyone out there, if you're interested in comics and don't want to spend the money on them or just want to check something out, hit up your library yo it's a great way to get them word up nice yes and thank you as always for the questions shout out to all y'all those for some great questions this week portal black i mean i will admit that like i say everybody hates on the second season and the, the last one kind of you know shaky but it's a great <laughs> show ever bro greatest show yeah, ever as hell, yo. oh but um speaking of comics i guess it's time for some Comics I count. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, sad news in comics I Yeah, I got to do it like comics <laughs> Very somber. Yeah. Very sad news. Uh, the cancellation of Black Panther and the crew after only two issues. Why? Um, um, because Marvel is in a serious state of flux right now. And, and, you know, it is tight times over there. And they'd already stretched the Black Panther brand too thin with World Wakanda and Black Panther. And then having another book that was just Black Panther and the crew. And also, I will say this because a lot of people are like, yo, Batman got like eight books. You know, and Wolverine got like ten books. And, you know, Venom got like three books. And Deadpool got seven. And it's like, this is true. But... Those books are books that people are accustomed. They're like comic buyers are different from the people who are buying Black Panther in mass. You know, it's like those people are people who love Ta-Nehisi Coates, got hype about it or saw Civil War, got hype about Black Panther are waiting for Black Panther and went and bought this book. And they love it because Ta-Nehisi telling a dope story. That's the only book they have to buy. They come into the store, they get that. Then they might see something like Saga or, you know, who knows what else and pick up that and pick up that. And then they might have like 10 books, mm. but they're not looking for 10 Black Panther books. But the people who buy Batman, people like me who grew up reading comics know there's 10 Wolverine books a month. 
So if I want to know everything about Wolverine, I got to buy 10 goddamn Wolverine books. And so that's like how it works for us. But Marvel and comic companies aren't understanding that, that you can't just suddenly transform a random reader into one of these people. Yeah. But also, just the way this whole treatment has happened is, is one, perplexing, and two, very yeah. sus. Because very. to me, I don't feel like they, one, I, I've, I've heard that the book was very good, one. Yep. Two, um, I don't, very on Tyler Robot mentioned that. Two, I felt like there was no real promotion for it. I don't, None. not that I'm like hanging out in comic books, comic no. shops all the time, but I just it feel like from people around me who do, there there was very little talk of it. And three, how do you, we, we, we mentioned this in previous episodes, but like we talked about you having to give these stories a chance to grow and breathe. How do you do that when you only allow it two issues and then go, nope, pull the plug? Like, how do you? How do you show that? That's that's another again why I don't truly understand the comic book business as it stands today because we talk about things like people, particularly like people like me, like in the age of like binge watching things like that. A lot of folks, especially newer comic readers, are not trying to do the single issue route. I know mm. you've expressed, and I told you that I told you that today when we were Midtown no, Comics. No, no, and you're so right about that. And, and like that's funny so, because I never thought about it from that perspective. Yeah, like so real because oh, but why like for for example like I said I it, it's and you could say you can say all this bad stuff about well you should you support the single issues and you should do that and you should do that but the truth of the matter is I consume my media the way I consume my media and then a great mm-hmm. deal of society nowadays has been trained to at least people who have access to things like Hulu and Netflix they've been trained that you're in the age of where everything is pretty much given to you right on the offset. There may be situations where you get maybe half of it or you have to wait once a week or whatever, but people are used to a much more condensed timeline when it comes to getting episodes or getting books or getting issues, whatever the case may be. I personally hate sitting there getting single issues because I hate reading through 15 pages, 10 pages within 10 minutes and then say, well, guess I'll see the next part in two, three weeks or whatever the, the time period is. Like, I can't do that. I prefer trades personally. I know that with the world of comic books, at least in the, from the from the past on to now, it's always been the issues have to do very well for them to even get to the point of trades and to continue past that. But the consumption the rate of consumption is much, much different. The method of consumption in, in media overall is so much different. So how do, if, if anything, what is Marvel doing to better reflect the way things work now? I think that's really one of the biggest reasons why the comic book industry, as you said, is at a crossroads. Because I feel like they keep saying, oh, well, we're trying all these different things, trying all these different characters, maybe giving people a chances, maybe not. But to me, it's like, well, what about the distribution model? Like, how is that going to be? approached and it that's very interesting because it's funny because certain books like saga do super well in trades more so probably but they also do well on single issues while other books you know like black panther that did very well you know early on in single issues but then the trades were doing great as well too and then there's certain books that struggle in single issues but do well in trades because people like you you know just want more of it and then the other problem is with Marvel and with DC especially and these bigger companies is for a lot of times they they started writing for trades so their single issues became very sus yeah. and that's a di- that's a different story and that's why I always recommend like you know independent books because they'll give you a fulfilling story like a book like Wicked and Divine you know I love to death I can read the single issue because in that single issue there's always like or Robert Kirkman's Walking Dead, his single issues are like, ooh, you know, by the time you're finished with it, you need a month 
to relax. Mm. You know, you need to be able to like sit and decompress and be like, damn, what's to happen? Next issue, you know, talk to your friends about it. Be like, yo, yo, did you read that? Yo, what's to happen? But some like these Marvel books, like, you know, I, I'm not even going to say the name because I loved, you know, one of these books, but I read it this week and it involves this crossover with Secret Empire. And it was like, yo, just like, whatever. So, hmm. you know, sad news. Black Panther and the crew is getting canceled. Good news is Black Panther is still going on. As far as I know, it's World of Wakanda is still going on. Tanasi Coates is making Marvel hella money. So they're going to figure out something else for him to do. So don't even worry about that. I mean, it, he could let him write for a different character. I've said it a million times, but at the same time, I'm not sure that that's what Tanahasi wants to do. He might want to just write Black Panther. I'm not True. sure, you know, what his goal is, but I would love to see him write a character who's not black and, you know, do something with that and see what happens. But, you know, go pick up Black Panther if you're not. It's incredible. He's going on to the third story arc. To see one writer on a book over a year is something in itself, so support that. It's dope. And this week, finally, uh, Wit Div, The Wicked and Divine drops this new book. It's um, entitled Wicked and Divine 455. It's a standalone issue, Mm -hmm. you know, one story and one issue. And it takes place in 455 AD. And it tells the story of what should have been the sacking of Rome by the Vandal Horde or some horde. I'm not sure exactly my history is off in that one. But I want, maybe it might be the Visigoths. I think I got that right. Some I, horde. I, yeah, some horde comes through in Satrome in history. But it actually tells, you know, so-called or the wicked and divine version of it, which is the gods, of course, you know, came up in Rome. And it tells, the you know, the versions of the gods that you know from the main series all appear in this one. But it's one issue, and it's an incredible issue. I picked it up today at Midtown Comics. It is like, like Tatiana, you know, people who don't like, you know, want to wait for trades. This is one of those one issues where it's like, ooh, what a story. You know, I think it's going to win some awards. Oh, really? Yeah, no, it's a, yeah, it's one of those, you know, I mean, Wicked and Divine to me is just one of the best books out right now. You shouldn't be reading it if you're not. And this is just, this standalone issue is just such a great story. Like, I can't wait to reread it again. And uh, I think that's about it for Comics I Copped. I also picked up the last trade or the third trade of God Hates Astronauts by Ryan Brown, which is turning into one of my favorite books ever. If you need a book that is just pure comedy, if you need something to laugh at in these trying times, go pick up God Hates Astronauts. Mm. It, it is fucking comedy. <laughs> yeah, great. Just a great book. Great book. And also, Jordan Peele, the homie, is going to adapt Lovecraft Country with J.J. Abrams and the writer of Underground, Misha Green, for HBO. And mm, 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 that just sounds like so much fire all at once right there. Yeah. Um, and, and for we, I watch Underground religiously. I know you watch as well, Ben. I oh, mean, yeah. oh um, yes. So for for him to say that, you know, it's also in the in the capable hands of Misha Green. Very excited about that. Um, the Lovecraft Country is the story of Atticus Turner, who is a young army vet that goes on a search through New England um, to find his father that di- mysteriously disappeared. Um, and obviously, but it takes place in like 1950s, right? Right. It yes. takes place in 1950s America. And he's black. And he's black and he's traveling. 
Let's not forget through that New part. England. So you know, <laughs> fake li- you know, the liberal country supposedly, um, but it's not. <laughs> not in the 1950s. No, not in the 1950s, no. right? And and this is this is right at the beginning of the civil rights movement. Before, no, this is this is basically racist America in your face racism, and as well. With the title Lovecraft Country, this book, you know, definitely contains some supernatural elements. Sci-fi. Yeah, sci-fi, all that. Mellow Marketer says it's one of his favorite books in recent memory. I'm about to pick it up and check it out. So, you you know, you can pick it up yourself, Lovecraft Country. And, man, you know, I mean, right now Jordan Peele is just in fuego. Anything he touches is turning to gold. So yeah, I'm they, excited for this. For they're real. Like, throwing projects at him. Yes. And and Lovecraft's country, it's um, they, there's no word when it's going to actually drop, but they said it's been ordered straight to series. So, nice. like, this, this is not even like a test. They're just like, yo, just give it to him. <laughs> yeah. I'm really excited about it for one because he also turned down akira which really made me like yo that is dope b because he could have easily cashed that bid check you know right if he's just doing it for the money but i i I appreciate when it's just like if when directors writers whatever they see something even if they're given a huge opportunity if they see that it's just not a right fit for them that they are honest about it and go no and also for him to want to develop stuff that you know really says something you know and that alone i'm happy for so shout out to him as always and oh man you know uh, anything else before we get out of here tatiana and remember fan bros as always make sure you are going to lootcrate.com slash fan bros use the code fan bros to save on any loot crate subscription i mean any loot crate pets loot crate wear loot crate wrestling (laughs) i always forget they got loot crate they got everything loot crate anime i need a dog so bad because i would have them so lit in loot crate pets oh my damn now i really want a dog your dog some matching socks some matching flash oh yo yo to everybody who hears this, go to Fan Bro Show Instagram tomorrow and to DJ Ben I mean Instagram because I'm going to show off these Loot Crate socks. You know, I'm, I'm going to really stunt tomorrow to let y'all see what you are missing out on because the socks alone, I might have to show off this Predator shirt. It's crazy. Like Tatiana said, LootCrate.com slash Fan Bros. Use the code Fan Bros and get you some of this. And if you got a dog or any type of animal, get that Loot Crate pets thing and then send us the pictures, please. Because I want to know. I, I got to know. Big shout outs to everyone who has been hitting us up, wanting to join the team of Luminaries. Yes. Got some, oh, I mean, some stuff cooking right now. You know, if you've been over to fanbros.com, you have seen the articles, the reviews, the videos, everything just popping over there. So shout out to everybody. But as always, we need more people. You know, word up. Mm-hmm. You know, we're like Jay-Z, need more people. So yeah, <laughs> contact at fanbros.com. If you feel like you can help us in any way, shape, or form, please hit us up. We're definitely looking for people for the social media, you know, to pop shit, to do some live tweets, all that type of stuff. You know, we're looking for artists, for designers, website, video. We really need some people to help us with some video, some graphics. If you've got that type of still, you know, some animation, you know, hit us up. because We got a lot of things cooking though yeah special shouts to uncolored page katrina montgomery and curvy geeky fangirl Uh uh-huh uh-huh 
And also, I want to give a big, big shout out, yo, everybody out there. Everyone knows um, our friend, you know, family. He's written articles for us. Golden Buddha, man. Golden Buddha 19 on Twitter. I'm going to put up the link on my Twitter. But he's got a Kickstarter or GoFundMe going on right now. Please read it and check it out. Golden Buddha's going through some things right now. You know, he needs our support. So please go over there, check it out. Golden Buddha 19 on Twitter. We got you, brother. Fan bros, family forever. You ain't got to worry about nothing.